Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. If you don't know... Ask your senator. What's up, everybody? It's your favorite guilty pleasure, a.k.a. the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman. Joined, as always, the little John to my Robin Hood, Chad Sowash. What's up? And today, we welcome Al Smith, CTO at iSims, to the podcast. Al, welcome. Well, thanks so much, guys. Nice to see you again, as always. Welcome back. Welcome back. So for our listeners that don't know you, all three or four of them, give us your Twitter bio and uh, we'll get to the uh, the hard-hitting Q&A after that. Yeah, real easy. Uh, so Al Smith, CTO at iSims, been with iSims uh, over eight years. And, you know, I've got responsibility for our product management, engineering, and cloud hosting teams, and a great lover of, uh, of technology that helps people find jobs. Eight years. He just said eight years. Listen. I was drinking out of my iSims Yeti. The ice was smashing against the lid. Sorry. So within the, the, the eight years that you've been there, what's changed? What's been the biggest change in our industry? Not iSims. I'll get to that one in a second. You know, it's funny. Um, some things have not changed at all. Uh, you know, and I, I knew nothing about oh, yes. this industry before I joined. To be candid with you, when the recruiter called me about joining iSims, I said, hiring software? Like, isn't this death? Taxes, sex, like what could <laughs> possibly be new? Now, obviously, I was poorly educated on this industry. I think, you know, I joined in 2015 and our industry hadn't yet pivoted to really understand mobile sufficiently. Yeah. And I think as I think of today, everything is de facto mobile, you know, mobile, properly mobile, I think, you know, here. And we've moved away from apps largely, you know, just mobile adaptive as being just bread and butter. I think, you know, the impact of, you know, everybody wanted to use the term big data. I did too. It's real. You know, we benchmark ourselves a lot. And I think a lot of our customers are in, hungry for that data, you know, to try to help understand the dynamic of their own business and what it could be. And it's a hard job, um, you know. Now, what hasn't changed is kind of crazy when you look at it is I think it's still a crazy fragmented industry with hundreds of vendors playing different roles. I think when we look at our customers that are hiring, buying hiring software, we see customers that are buying best of breed or they're buying from their HCM vendor. And I don't think that's changed a heck of a lot. You know, the numbers switch back and forth depending on which analyst you talk to. But, but I think <laughs> at the end of the day, uh, you know, we, we do these surveys and I know a lot of people do. How many tools does a, you know, talent acquisition team use? And I don't think the numbers move the needle a lot. You know, they use 20 to 25 to 30 tools depending on how big their scope is. I think what's changed for me and for us is we offer now more and more of those tools from one vendor, uh, which hopefully in, in the big picture is really helpful for our customers. You know, it's it's kind of the mission we've been on to say, how do we make it easier, better, more of. But uh, it's a hard job, uh, you know, folks doing this. So. Can, can we car- clarify the uh, death of apps comment? Are we talking about just our space or are you <laughs> are you digging the grave for the entire app ecosystem? You know, it's interesting. I think a couple of technology changes that early on, everybody was writing phone-specific, platform-specific apps. You know, if you go 2013, there were six operating systems for mobile. People were trying to write apps. Then we were writing for Android and Apple, and that's still happening. 
But I think there's a lot of movement. I know we've moved and other people have moved to like a React native kind of implementation. We use React as part of our UI technology. You can generate a native app for iOS and Android off of that. And therefore, it's less about going to the app store also, you know, that kind of thing. And then mobile adaptive web experiences when you don't need the extra uh, data help that an app can give you. I, I'd see a pretty strong trend that more people are focusing on web adaptive, you know, mobile adaptive experiences on a web interface because it's easier. Yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned uh, a, a f- 2013, I think you said there. <laughs> and um, I'm going to go back in the past just a little bit. You guys had here we go the Inspire uh, conference last year, which was just November, and you've decided oh. to, to just flip it and have another one uh like so six good. months later yeah which is so good yeah. but uh, but a little a few things have changed in the world uh since november <laughs> um but i want to go back to something you said in your presentation uh i don't know if you said you hate the term ats or something along those lines tell tell us a, why why so hateful on the term ats and what should we be using instead you know, I, I don't think that I hate ATS. I think you put those words in my mouth and I accept them. I was complaining <laughs> that a lot of our, a lot of the analyst community particularly, but also even some of the market at large um, have a hard time seeing us as more than an ATS. And I was talking about ISIM specifically. When I joined, they had three products. Uh, it was an amazing company that had been on a wonderful run. But, you know, we're, we're now a portfolio of, you know, 20 plus products. And I think it, we do a disservice and look, some of this is marketing brand and other things, but we do a disservice just lumping it all to say, hey, a- iSIMS is an a- ATS company. You know, we're re- really focused on trying to address all the parts of the hiring process, you know, the top of funnel, the, you know, attract and engagement experiences. Yes, we continue to remain really strong, I think, on the higher part where ATS is still important. I still love my child called ATS. And then, you know, we've expanded our lane a bit. You know, last year we introduced an opportunity marketplace around internal mobility and advancement. And for me, I I think of all these things as a complete life cycle is what we're trying to bring to our customers and solutions and the candidate and employee experience. So I was whining. You you called me out on the wine. That's (laughs) fair. That's fair. Um, And I was whining that says, please think of us. I need your help. Think of us as more than just an ATS. Cheese knows a wine when it sees it. You know what it's I'm a, saying? Well, I mean, it's really amorphous. I mean, it's kind of like this nebulous relic of, I mean, applicant tracking system back in the Resumex days. I mean, this is back in what shit, what, 98? That was an applicant tracking system. The the the, the Resumex of yesterday is not the ISIMs of today. Not to mention, if you even try to bump up different quote-unquote applicant tracking systems or, or, or what's siloed as an applicant tracking system, uh, the, the capabilities, the performance, I mean, everything is different from brand to brand to brand. Yeah. I've wanted to get rid of the, the this term ATS because it's, it's, it is a relic. It is a very, a very small portion of what you guys actually do. Although the hard part is HR is slow to adopt. Talent acquisition is slow to adopt and trying to teach them a new term to be able to fit yourself into is just a marketing nightmare. Yeah. Look, you know, I, I'll give kudos to uh, Colin Day who founded the company and he'll, he'll tell you, I'm sure if we called Colin now, he'd mm-hmm. say, look, it may not be sexy, but everybody needs an ATS. And guess what? 
it's still the foundation of the hiring process. You know, it uh-huh. is. Um, and we invest record keeping. Yeah. Well, look, we invest a lot in it to constantly make it hopefully have more and more utility, I think, is the right outcome, as opposed to just being, you know, record keeping. So so I don't hate it, uh, Joel. I don't hate the term. I just want to be known as more than that. That's all. And unfortunately, Colin is retired in Fiji, so the time zones really wouldn't work up if we did <laughs> call him. Bora Bora if we did, this yeah, month, if we called him yeah. right now, he's probably asleep. He's probably asleep. So <laughs> he'd be listening to your podcast every day on the Come beach. On. Yes, in a speedo, obviously, um, because that's the best way to listen to us. Did not need that. So going back uh, to November again, uh, a little thing called Chat GPT launched in November. Uh, a few things have changed since then. A lot of companies have embraced it. I just want to get your overall take on ChatGPT and its impact on our industry. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I renamed my dog GPT. Um, you know, all kidding aside, I don't have a dog right now. My daughter does. You know, the hype is crazy. Although, look, I we, we're certainly doing research and experimenting with it. Uh, I'll come back and kind of lay out how I see it. I do think it's going to make a huge impact in our business in a lot of different ways. And that's important to not ignore it or put your head in the sand and say, hey, you know, I, I don't have to participate. It's going to be a serious impact in a couple of ways. Some, I hope, for the real good positive. We've spent a lot of time building a responsible AI program, working really hard at a code of conduct, you know, human-led, explainable, reversible transparent, all these things that we think matter. Uh, GPT today doesn't represent a lot of those aspects. And I think some of the people who are worried about it, maybe appropriately so, is the explainability is like, hmm, you know, that kind of thing. That said, look, even with all the careful work we've done, the number of companies at scale, I think that's the key word, not the early adopters, but companies at scale have been really slow to make decisions to use AI knowingly using AI as part of a decision process. Um, I will tell you one of the approaches that we've taken on AI in general, I'll come back to chat GPT, is I think AI can do a hell of a lot of good for our industry, uh, solving problems that are beyond human scale. And I think we're we're just too ready to ignore these things that are beyond human scale. So DE&I problems, there's a lot of stuff that goes into the news around, hey, new AI model has bias and, you know, somebody's not getting a job that you get a job. Well, that's good that that's getting in the news. That's a bad outcome. But if we look at the situation where you flip it on its head and you say, well, look, in a normal hiring process, first of all, if you have a diversity plan, how diverse is your company to start? Do you know that? (laughs) If you don't, can we set goals? By the way, when you start hiring, how diverse is the top of the funnel? Are you diverse to begin with? And do you lose diversity as the funnel proceeds? You know, and if so, do you also keep track, you know, trending? Are you making improvements on your goals? And are you looking in the right places for diverse people? Are you using technologies that help you hire on potential, not on experience only? That is a lot of our AI program. And it complements a lot for companies that are trying to solve the problem of scale and complexity and, you know, all these things that the human can't track. The other one I think is, you know, it's kind of crazy. We have employers that have, you know, you have a thousand open jobs for a certain position and you're fortunate and our technology helps us. I get it. You got 25,000 candidates in an hour 
or in a day, in a mm-hmm. day you picked up 25,000 applicants. Right. How do, first of all, how does your team who's trying to hire a thousand people, how do they find the right 2000 people to talk to, to make a decision on? Yeah. Number one. And mm-hmm. most of the companies that have this dynamic, they're B2C companies. And so those people applying to your company are also your customers. How do you ensure you give them a good experience and telling them you're not giving them the job so that they don't think poorly of your brand and hurt those things? I think too often we're ignoring this stuff. This is where AI shines. We have for years, even before the scalability issue that we're seeing now, we just, the black hole has existed. You have clients today that they don't address the black hole issue. This perspectively could, could help, could help do that. Totally. And look, I, I will tell you categorically, when we talk about generative AI, which we've been piloting and working with for a while, mm-hmm. there's a lot of places in the different workflows that the hiring process represents where this has a lot of great potential. And, and we're certainly going to use it. To me, overall, it's got the highest potential on being a productivity aid, right? And mm-hmm. we know everywhere we help productivity, there's a big plus for our employers and even for the candidates and employees who are going through this journey. I think from my perspective, we've been playing around with it for you know, a number of months right now on, hey, don't take this the wrong way, but 90% of all job descriptions are a pile of poo. Can we have better job descriptions that actually better support? You, you can say shit on this podcast, Al. Just I know, so you know. but you know, okay. my, my mother might come smack me. So I, you know, <laughs> uh, um, so, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and candidly, so are most resumes. They're pretty, pretty poor. Yeah. Um, so helping people communicate better, the employer and the, and the person looking for the job, can the technology give you a better starting point, make you more effective at doing it and communicate better? Yes. You know, think about all the things that are in our talent cloud. Um, I'm doing a, you know, marketing automation campaign to uh, recruit candidates. Can I write better, you know, letters and emails and text and things that better communicate the likelihood that you're going to do it? And give it to you in a way that I give you a starting point, you finish it. Because again, human-led, no black box, bing, here's the answer. We do, uh, when we send you a job offer, can we give a better offer letter? When you're onboarding, can we give you better explanations of the tasks you're being given? Um, You know, there's just so many places where we have content that relies on kind of either lowest common denominator of template libraries or uh, the talent of the individuals and their experience to write good content. I'm hoping this can improve that significantly. Are um, you are you talking about current products, uh, future projects? It sounds like yeah. you're talking about some native things that iSims is going to be building or has built. Talk about that. Yeah. One of the things I've decided to do, particularly with this technology, is introduce a bit of a playground where we can open up the lab for our customers to come in and play with the technology before we productize. Um, we haven't released it, you know, the chat GPT specifically or generative AI in our product yet. We have a really robust AI platform that does a wonderful job at the notion of match and all the permutations of match, whether it's job to person, person to job, person to person, et cetera. And we've been using that AI also as part of helping us solve problems of human scale, like, hey, we've got, you know, a half a billion profiles when we go through there and look at people's job experiences, how do we actually identify a good skills cloud or skills taxonomy to help people make better decisions about career pathing and what skills you need and where are your gaps? 
Same thing when how do we normalize? Look at how people name jobs. If I just look at our own company, how many different titles I have for the same job, you know, across departments. It's crazy. Uh Those are problems of human scale. Our industry just sucks at. And so I'm using AI in solving a lot of those problems that, again, categories beyond human scale. Here's a great, you know, we took, um, I know in one of our runs, we took about 250,000 different job titles and distilled them down to a common 20,000 jobs. And that's a jobs taxonomy that we can now do skills matching against and then help people with career pathing decisions. So that's in current product. What you'll see me do is open up a bit of a playground where you can play with the GPT products uh, and other generative AI things that we're looking at. And I'd like actually feedback. And here's what I'm more interested in before I just say, hey, it's in our products. I don't know about the other vendors out there. And I know a lot of them have rushed to market with a new product named with that. Oh, you don't say. Uh, <laughs> I do say. But and I'm sure the early adapters, you know, will jump on that. But the regulatory challenges that I see our customers struggling with mm-hmm. around data privacy, around data residency, around AI fairness. Look, we just spent a lot of effort and a lot of time. I knew we would do well, but just New York City's new fairness and AI rule. Now they just delayed enforcement again until I think July, but we were ready in January. We went through the audit. Yes, we came through well because we knew the program we had built. But even with that, I can't tell you how many of my customers have, you know, just second guesses about saying, yes, I'm willing to turn it on. Mm -hmm. That's AI that is very explainable. There's clear audit trail on all of this that we provide. GPT is a bit different. So let's see. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Here's here's one thing, and, and I think we get in our own way sometimes because we, we talk about it being explainable, but those companies don't give two shits about explaining it. They want to defend it, right? So it's about defendability, and it's about going in and transparency, number one. Uh, I think one of the lessons that we have learned from ChatGPT is that transparency is the way forward, not just because of GDPR, not just because of New York and California and all these states and and, and metros that come up with new regulation, but because it's better for business. Look at ChatGPT explodes because I would say my opinion is because of the the transparency and and allowing users to taste it, touch it, feel it, and, and really play around with it, knowing 
that it's not perfect. It, it almost feels like it has to be perfect before we allow anyone in to our gates. And then when we do that, we only allow salespeople to demo that. Is yeah. that going to change? Yeah, look, that's a really great point you're making. I, I, I don't think any of these technologies will get to the point that they're perfect before you can adopt. I think I think what you've got to ask yourself is, again, around that notion of a productivity aid, does mm-hmm. this give me a better 80%, 90% starting point and take a lot of the undifferentiated work I'm required to do off my plate? Mm-hmm. If the answer to that is yes, I think you've hit the tipping point of adoption You know, for, for a lot of people and a lot of uses. And, and that's how I'm looking at it, at least. I will say one word of caution from at least Al Smith being the maybe overly cautious, I'll take that criticism. What's unclear to me, and particularly on OpenAI's public website, is when you put your information into it, who owns the IP that was generated? Do they own it or do you own yes, it? Yes, currently do, unless you're using, I think, the API. There's, there's, a, there's a different set of terms right. and conditions. Right, and I just want to put that word of warning. For my own organization, look, we're licensing. Uh, we have long-term relationships with you know, all the cloud vendors, and Microsoft clearly has made the big investment. And so I can license with clear ownership of IP through there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say, by the way, just a nod to Microsoft, as much as I'm shocked that you know they let go their fairness and AI leader and they've gone all <laughs> in in this. I do think the notion, though, that they've introduced of co-pilot, Chad, is exactly the right way to think about it. It's your co-pilot, right? So it's helping you get rid of the undifferentiated work you're required to do to complete a task. And if it makes you faster, better, more consistent at that work, can you bring other skills to what you do? And I think I like that concept. I think they got that right. I, I saw somebody else already has turned their stuff co-pilot as well. I think Seek Out or somebody, I can't remember. But uh, um, Chad is my co-pilot. <laughs> he takes care of the undifferentiated work for you. Uh, and, yeah, uh, let's just talk about all the work. Let's just talk about I don't that. know what any of that means, Al. All right. You have a front row seat uh, with your marketplace to what you mentioned vendors and what they're doing. Are you seeing a rush to add features on chat GPT? Are you guys putting up any guardrails on that? What are you seeing on the marketplace? Well, look, in the marketplace, uh, we're not reselling our partners' products. We're making them available, saying that they've been validated working properly on our products using our APIs and that we have mutual customers. So if you're trying to make a decision, it is truly a marketplace. These are vendors you should look at and make a decision for, you know, what the fit for you is. Yeah, look, there's a lot of noise. I haven't seen new. I haven't seen new products in our marketplace yet, per se. You know, some of the people who we have co-opetition with who do have a presence in our marketplace, I've seen some of their introductions. I think it is going to be a rush. I think it's going to be the hype cycles probably more extreme for the reasons you brought out, Chad. People can touch it with their own, you know, hands, if you will, and see the benefit and that helps. And look, as a tech guy, am I excited by that? Yes. I'm excited that we climb over a next level barrier, hopefully, to get people to want to consider what good things it can do for you. I think we just need a little bit of air to come out of the balloon so that we also know what bad things it could do for you. Um, let's face it, the, these large language models are trained on all the poo that sits in the internet. <laughs> they try to clean it, but they're, you know, where I have really high hopes is in a private implementation that we would do or, you know, people like us, we're curating the data, we're cleansing the data, we're removing data that actually might create bias in its behaviors. And then if we train it on a model, do I think it'll work really well? I, I do. I, I have really 
you know, high hopes and expectations that it can be uh, impactful. So we've talked to Ryan Steelberg, who is the CEO of Veritone, the guys, the guys who cloned our voices and, and we actually do the, uh, the foreign podcasts through. Talk about scary shit. <laughs> or sexy, d- depending on who you are. We talked to Ryan Steelberg about this, and he's talking about linked data models, where you have the large language data models, and then yeah. you have the domain specific, so that when you are in the chat environment or, or what have you, the system knows whether it's going to be hitting off of large language or if it's going to be hitting off of domain specific, but those are separated so that you don't have to worry about, you know, kind of like the, the clash of, of terms, what you were talking about earlier. Can you talk about that? Have you seen that? Is that something that you guys are looking to do? Yeah, we are. I mean, look, I think everybody's going to end up here for a couple of reasons. You don't want these weird, at least in, in you know, look, we're producing a class of products in a B2B model that mm-hmm. you want predictability and expected behavior in everything we produce, right? That's really the definition for me of enterprise software, known state and expected behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And, but I don't run the, run the risk that this thing starts, you know, just going off the deep end and asking, you know, to marry me, right? That would be a bad outcome. So I think as the, as we get smarter about what are the guardrails you can implore that's going to be one of the techniques. Certainly curating the data that you train those domain-specific models with is one of the techniques. For me, it's not about having a specific model per customer, which I think is a mistake the AI industry made, even in our space over the last bunch of years, because it's unsustainable. If every customer has a separate model, I also need data scientists to be tech support. I need data scientists to be implementers. I can barely find enough data scientists to build and train models, let alone do the full life cycle of software products. Uh-huh. So I've I've not done that. Sometimes, again, to I understand the criticism and it's appropriate for things we can't do. But we'd rather build uh, domain-specific models, I use your term, that are specifically, we know the state of the data that's being trained on. And just to be clear, if you're running a, a, a responsible AI program, you're also training your models with uncleansed data, uncurated data, and you're comparing the results and you're measuring the bias and you're tracking and trending that. And you're also looking for model drift. We do all that stuff. I'm not sure everybody's doing all that stuff, but we are. So you mentioned everybody else and you've also talked about user experience and scale and a lot of things that sound eerily like a chat bot. And I won't name names, but a certain chat bot is getting into the ATS game. What's your read on that? Yeah. Is, are you threatened? Is it like, yeah, mosquito on my ass, no big deal? What are your thoughts? <laughs> oh, you give me such like opposite end choices, you know? Look, if I was them, I think this is bold and brilliant on their part, you know, knowing and looking at their business. They've done one thing pretty well. Like most specialists, I would imagine they're running out of white space in the market they're looking for. At least that's how it appears to me. They do one thing incredibly well and God bless. But now how do you keep growing for your investors at a, at a rate that, you know, when you start using up white space? So, you know, their positioning is three things that I think are kind of interesting. Um, a vertical industry alignment around high volume hiring is kind of a very, you know, needed, but also pretty narrow kind of space. Uh, that's one. I, although I know that's the strength of what chatbots do because it's a simpler class of hiring. I think the fact that they're using conversational AI, not generative AI, is an important nuance. And again, I think pretty cool on their part. So curious to see how well they do. And then the statement on, and now you no longer need an ATS. Well, that's kind of interesting back to how our conversation started. 
I guess that works for regional companies doing a single class of hiring where you don't have extensive, you know, EEO and responsibility and other things. But I don't see our complex employers being able to get away with that in the challenges of running your business just, you know, at, at scale and let alone be global businesses. So, look, I, I think am I ignoring them? No, I'm going to watch and see how they do. Do I think that was bold on their part to reposition the company in this way using both technology and a narrow vertical industry focus? I do, but I think I understand why they're doing it. So let's see how it works out for them. So don't you think that probably one of the best ways to get inputs of data is through chat, through messaging, through it's it's more async than it is sync, right? So so even no matter whether you're high volume hiring or you're you're hiring mid level managers to be able to give them more of an experience that's on their time as opposed to having them fill out a form on the web, don't you think that that, that is a transition and evolution? And are you guys looking at actually going down that road? Yeah, look, and and, and let's hope that that is the trend uh, because mm. it's what's needed. Look, we've done some pretty good stuff with our digital assistant. Not trying to say it's you know the world's most amazing, but I think we I think we scheduled something like forty five thousand, fifty thousand job interviews last year through the digital assistant. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty meaningful, you know. And so, to your point, Chad, anywhere we take noise out of the process to let people get to the decision making is good. And so, if we can get people feeling comfortable with adoption like that, I like that idea a lot. And and yes, we have a lot of different levels of stuff in the lab that we're always looking at. When's the right time to go into product? Can we do it at scale? Can I do it across all the geographies with regulatory data privacy, you know, data residency rules? Sometimes I have to go slower because it takes me longer to get all that to line up on everywhere you're going to go. It's so much easier in the U.S. Honestly, there's a lot less regulation and it's more uniform, uh, even though we have these, you know, CCPA in California and the New York Fairness and AI and other things popping up. It is it is less complex than than that, you know, and. I'm hoping that what you described is we're all going to just go there. But that said, (laughs) and I'm not throwing any shade on any of my customers who have very strong legal teams, (laughs) but we've got technology that really streamlines like I don't need your resume if that's not the class of hire. I don't need much information from you. It's 10 clicks. And then they hit the 12 page legal document that they have to read through on their phone and click through. It's like, gang you're not getting it. You know, if that's really a requirement of hiring somebody, bring that to them later, not when they're thinking about, gee, I wonder if I want to work at this company. Um, So there's so much unevenness when I look across the implementations out there. So the next time we all see each other, we won't be in our home offices. We'll be in paradise, AKA San Diego for the Inspire conference. So Al, give us a preview of what we can expect particularly a new CEO. What should we expect from him? Umbrella drinks. Uh, umbrella drinks from Brian. Uh, so Brian <laughs> Provost will certainly have the keynote and I'll be joining him. Um, real excited. You know, Brian, I think people are going to find a, what you see is what you get kind of person, which is great. He comes from a really strong, uh, you know, uh, software background and his ability to jump into our company, uh, and this is saying something, I think, jump into our company, uh, plug into culture, and pick up the use cases very quickly that our customers care about. I think he's doing a great job. So hopefully you'll hear him having a comfort level from just being introduced in November as coming on board to somebody who's in the saddle and, you know, and, and 
and still learning, but but doing a lot of things now from a totally different lens. That's one. You guys will help hold me um, hold me accountable for any announcements I made in November. I'm sure. I'll tell you some of the favorite parts of the conference that we've started to really build repeatedly are kind of like those fireside chat sessions where you get either a panel of people talking to each other or somebody driving the panel, throwing questions. We have some really great ones. I know you guys are fans of, and I am too, of Andrea Wade, who, you know, is our our strategist on AI and, um, you know, and founded the company that we've built on. And she's going to have some great sessions. You know, I think that, um, Every time I hear Andrea talk, I, I learn something new and it's just the kind of thing I want to be doing. So um, and then hopefully um, you all are going to be there. Right. I mean, so we're going to we're going to have. <laughs> yeah. And that's not for us. That's for Andrea Wade, because uh, Deathmatch winner, number one, number two, acquired by ISMs. And number three, she's going to be on stage uh, in early May. Uh, at uh, ISIMS Inspire uh, on the beach, or at least close to the beach. The other one, and I'm sure you guys will jump on this, is we've got a bunch of customers that are going to tell their journey. That's always the best. Maybe that's why we moved it so close, because we wanted to do more of that. I don't know. Two or three a year. That'd be awesome. Al Smith, everybody, CTO at ISIMS. Al, for those listeners that... Want to know about more about you or the Inspire Conference? Where would you send them? Isims.com, right on the banner. It's easy, there. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Another one in the can, Chad. We out. We out. Wow. Look at you. You made it through an entire episode of the Chad and Chase podcast. Or maybe you cheated and fast forwarded to the end. Either way, there's no doubt you wish you had that time back valuable time you could have used to buy a nutritious meal at Taco Bell, enjoy a pour of your favorite whiskey, or just watch big booty Latinas and bug fights on TikTok. No, you hung out with these two chuggleheads instead. Now go take a shower and wash off all the guilt, but save some soap, because you'll be back. Like an awful train wreck, you can't look away. And like Chad's favorite Western, you can't quit them either. We out. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.